You're listening to Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eye on the Ball. I'm Steve Rivera, and you're listening to 1030 The Voice. Welcome to Friday. I have Tom, the original Tom, today. Tom, how are you? The original Tom. The original Tom. Hmm. The, I, that's a new one on me. I kind of like it. Kind of like it? Well, you were, you're the original Tom, but not my original guy. Uh, that was Mr. Bob Dio. Bless that's his true. That's true. He jumped ship like most other people in my life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to Friday. Uh, we're How still you in, doing? Good, thank you. We're in hostage day 40-something. I've already stopped putting the you know, little marks on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this well, this high situation is never going to end. But I got to get out. I'm in in the studio today. I'm in the studio with you every day, uh, Tom. In my heart, in spirit, in, if in, not yes. in fact. Yes. Uh, the other Tom, I stay at home. Uh, can't even catch a cold. Hey, uh, today I have a pretty good, cool show. I think at least uh, I'm going to have Butch Henry, a former SID at U of A, uh, from the early '80s, I think, to about. Uh, 1990-something. We're going to talk about that. He was kind of like the lead information officer at the uh, sports department there um, for about 15 years, maybe maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Uh, talk about old stories, some of the people he uh, dealt with, and the Steve Steve, uh, Steve Kerrs, Sean Elliott, those guys, because he was part of that group, him and Tom Duddleston. Uh, so we'll go back and reminisce a, a lot this uh, afternoon. Uh, he'll come on at about 6.15, go to about 6.45, if not longer. So maybe you'll remember. You got here in what? A twin? Did you get here in Tucson? Yeah. Well, I was visiting my folks here off and on since the mid seventies, and I moved down here from Alaska in ninety nine. Okay, so it was about the time he was not here. I think he's done with it. We'll check it out. He's in Alabama now. I think he moved from here to to the East Coast um, a while back. So I figured I hadn't talked to Butch, so let's get Butch on today's show. Uh, have you been paying pay attention to the old draft? Curse. Uh, I've been... Is I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, when you do, when you do something on, on a cursory basis. I think it'd be cursory. Yeah, that's kind of me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Very few names I recognize because I'm not a big college uh, football fan in terms of, you know what they do, what they've done, blah, blah, blah. But they're finishing up the first, the second round, right? Pretty much. They're into the second round. This is the 27th pick. Uh, Seattle Seahawks are on the clock. Yeah, I think they'll go another round after tonight and then do the weekend in, in a brush. Uh, I still don't see any U of A players getting picked here in the next couple of days. No, no, I'm talking about at all. <laughs> I'm talking at all. Not yet, to Steve. Not, not, no, not yet, or never. Uh, but well, they'll that, be, that's but a they'll possibility, land, But they'll, play, they'll be on an NFL team at least to work out. And see, I still think that someone's going to take a, a chance or a flyer on Khalil Tate, see what happens with that. J.J. Taylor, too. He uh, was working out with Donovan McNabb? Yeah, I think in California somewhere. Something like that. Mm. And so maybe picking up some pointers that might help him. Well, we've got to pick up a lot of pointers. <laughs> Because uh, he may change in position, may change his position. See what happens. Uh, what else is going on there? Still no sports. We won't see sports for a long time. I saw that the U- UFC, I guess the UFC, is going to have a card on May 9th. It's a big special day for me. 
This is not the WWE. No, no, it's UFC. Because WWE has been in the news recently about them doing some live um, wrestling events. Oh, they let go a lot of people about a week or so ago. A lot of their name people, too. WD, WD, oh, WD. some of their actual mm-hmm. stars, their wrestlers. Mm-hmm. You might have to get on the interweb and uh, talk, look for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so but the, you're not now. You're talking about something else. UFC, the, the ultimate real, ultimate fighting. Yeah, the the really where they beat the heck out of each other. Yeah, so we'll actually night, see. They will see real blood. <laughs> yes, where you actually yes yeah, see. Not that you don't see it on the other side too, but that's true. Yeah, uh, on a big day, my birthday. So make sure you say. Oh, when is your birthday? May nine. Oh, <laughs> Tom, take notes, please. <laughs> well, so save, I, I, save, you probably said May 9th, but I didn't catch save, it the first time around. Save it, your, it, it, you could have been talking about Mother's Day for all know, I that's know. That's, I think, what it is. So, good guess. Uh, <laughs> so, save your pennies, stop eating, and save your money and get me something. All right. Nice and shiny. I'll get you a Mother's Day card. Yeah, that'd be, <laughs> I'd be called worse. I'd be called worse, Tom. I'd you know, I, something occurred to me. Oh, go ahead. And, and Kerr. Get it? That's the that's the that's okay. the uh, that's the key to what I'm about to suggest to you. You ought to get with Steve Kerr. Why? And uh, to write a book about. Oh, he! I've, I've asked him a couple times already. I'm telling you, when you think about it, he he was with the Arizona Wildcats. He was with the Chicago Bulls. He's now he, with he, the. He'll never do it. The Warriors. This guy has got a story to tell. Oh, sure, he's keeping it to himself. I've asked him. I've asked him a couple <laughs> times. In, uh, in fact, a few years ago, maybe not too long ago, and and I've stopped. I only ask uh, someone to dance once, and if they say no, sorry. I asked twice. But yeah, case. but but if she's real pretty, you might want to no, try a second no, time. No, no, no. They say no. It's okay. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Uh, I didn't want to anyway. Well, the first time around, her foot might have been sore. Oh, I don't take those excuses. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I just picked the wrong one, Tom. All right. So in a couple of minutes, we'll find uh, Butch. I think he's in Alabama. He could be wrong. And we'll talk about the good old days, 80s, 90s, stuff like that in terms of, you know, some of his favorite players, some of his best people to have in front of a mic or, you know, stories to be told. Probably Chuck Cecil. Is that as far back as he goes? 84-ish, I think. About that. So not back as far as the no. Joe da- Joe Namath and no. Kenny Stabler days. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Not at U of A. Not at U of A. This is more U of A stuff. Well, you said he was in Alabama. Well, he's living in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> he might Can have. someone help me? Can somebody call me, and call me and say, hey, I'll save you from top? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to an old guy's mind like mine when you talk about Alabama, and you know, if you mention the University of Alabama in particular, Joe Namath, okay. Kenny Stabler, those names are going to come Bryant. to mind. Mr. Bryant. Hey, let's take a break now. Let's get out of this mess. Come back and you'll find Butch for me and come back on the other side. Is that cool? I will do my best. Okay, thank you. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, and now I'm happy to have Butch Henry, former U of A SID, in on the phone. Uh, Butch, how are you? Doing very good, Steve. It's great to hear from you. Yes, yeah, same here. Same here. I, I was wondering, I wonder if I could get Butch on the show this week, and lo and behold, we could. Glad to have you. I don't know if you saw my Facebook post saying that you would be on the show, but I guess the biggest pe- thing that people want to know is where in the heck are you living and how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I was uh, assistant athletics director and then associate athletics director from 83 to 97, uh, in Tucson, and then I was hired as director of athletics at Florida International in Miami. And uh, was there two years, was in the process of 
Well, I'd taken them into the Sun Belt Conference, and we were starting football. And out of the blue one night, the University of Alabama called me and offered me a position. And I had a college professor that was fond of saying, if you're going to pick apples, go where they have the most apples. And that's the <laughs> SEC. And Alabama had a position that um, uh, <laughs> was very good for me and my family. And uh, eventually I was able to retire early, but I worked here at Alabama for six years as general manager of the Crimson Tide Network and handled all their marketing and promotions. And then uh, my wife and I retired and moved to Aiken, South Carolina, where her parents were. And we kind of uh, marshaled them through the late years of their life. And then when they passed away, uh, I moved back to Tuscaloosa. And I was, um, after I retired, the University of Alabama asked me to teach a class each fall in the grad school in sport management. So I did that for um, did that for seven years and um, just been totally retired in Tuscaloosa. I go to uh, Bama games and just as a fan and uh, have some really good friends we tailgate with. And I um, play golf, uh, play a lot of golf. And my wife and I do a lot of traveling, but We've enjoyed our stay in Tuscaloosa, and it's been a great place to live. Nice, nice. A lot of winning going on over there. You must, uh, if you love winning, <laughs> that's the place to be. You know, I uh, was fortunate enough. Now, when I was in Alabama, I was in what are referred to as the the bad old years. Um, I was, <laughs> we were, Bama was not very good in most of those years, and then uh, two years before, two years after I retired, they brought Nick Saban in and that all changed. And uh, he brought a winning attitude and the most, um, I got to see it from an entirely different perspective when I was teaching. And I loved every second that I was a college uh, professor, but um, Nick Saban is as maniacal on academics as he is on athletics. And he has a program set up where soon as a guy graduates from high school, he's expected to enroll and go to every session that exists for the next three years and then graduate in December of his junior year. So if he's going to leave for the pros, he has his degree. And, you know, when Alabama beat Georgia in the national championship game a couple of years ago, um, I guess it was three years ago now, they had 28 players on the field that already had their college degrees. And uh, but not only do they win, but um, his academics are beyond reproach. Nice, nice but, to know. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, it's, it's been fun, and we've enjoyed our, our stay in Tuscaloosa. And I, I play golf about oh, 200, 230 times a year, and enjoy it. I walk and carry my bag, and it's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. I wanted to... Uh, I asked. Uh, I called the, the Dave Petruska here about an hour or so ago, and I said, "When did Butch arrive here?" Because I got here in '87, and I thought it was '84, but you said '83. Let's kind of go mm-hmm. back through memory lane while I have you on here. You arrived in '83. Uh, uh, Coach Smith was just uh, starting, I assume. How was that? He'd uh, been there two years, and uh, uh, Lou came in my first year. We. We had a one in seventeen season in the conference and four and twenty four, and then Luke came in, and uh, it was really tough my first two years because football got put on probation for stuff that happened in the Tony Mason era about three or four years before that, 
And uh, then once we got off probation, uh, football took off, and Dick Tomey came in, and that was a lot of fun. And then, of course, basketball was what it was, and baseball. Uh, we won the national championship in 86, and I was there for a lot of neat, neat things to happen, and we enjoyed our career in Tuscaloosa, I mean, excuse me, in Tucson, and uh, our two sons grew up there, and it was a lot of fun. Well, I still think I've had I've had um, uh, Cedric here and Rocky and a lot of the the big time people back in those days, and I still think that in that wheelhouse time that you're talking early '80s to about the 2000s, that was Arizona's glory years of success in athletics. Uh, you had a lot of good football teams. You had Dick Tomey. You had Loot, obviously. You had Kindle. Uh, don't you think that if you look back to that era? Yeah, I I can't speak for what happened before that, but. You know, when I came, it was tough because we had we couldn't be on TV for two years, so that really limited our uh, income. And it was um, and basketball was down, and um, it, the first couple of years were very very tough. Uh, uh, we had to watch our pennies and everything, but uh, but I think that in the 14 years I was there. Alabama won 14 national team championships in various sports. Wow, 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 wow. So you you were the head guy for football. I guess Dud was the basketball guy? Mm-hmm, correct. How, how was that of doing the uh, the work for Coach Smith and, and dealing with guys like Chuck Cecil and the Hunleys and th- things like that? You know, um, it, was, it was really neat because um, – they recruited some really special players, and uh, the, both Smith and Tommy really uh, featured the defense, and we were able to win a lot of games, and um, it was fun. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of uh, a lot of strange games, like the time we beat Oklahoma, yeah, six to three. Doug Faf. There were no touchdowns. Uh, both teams ran the wishbone. Oklahoma was on probation so the game couldn't be on television so there were no uh, media timeouts and the game took about two hours and 20 minutes to play because each team just lined up and threw the ball and i i'm not sure we completed a pass in that game i may be wrong on that but um it was just both teams going up and down the field and uh really weren't going up and down the field the defense ran it but um um, we ended up winning that game, but it was it was typical of the way Alabama football was played. Uh, I remember the Chuck Cecil 100-yard interception return in 86 when we beat um, ASU at a great Rose Bowl team, and we just took them apart. But we, um, we probably only won about 10 plays in that game. Uh, they dominated the play, but we kept getting turnovers and making big plays and hitting um, – some big uh, passes, and but that return by Cecil might be the greatest single athletic achievement I've ever seen on a field. The crowd noise, because uh, ASU was about to get back in the game. They were down 10, I think, at the time, and drove down and had the ball on the inside the uh, Arizona, uh, like I want to say seven-yard line, and uh, – Van Rapphorst was their quarterback, and they really stayed on him that whole year not to improvise. And he improvised, and the defensive coaches had talked to the 
defensive backs about. If he improvises, step in front of the receivers, and you can get a big-time play. And Cecil intercepted it, and it was probably 106 yards, but the NCAA only recognizes 100 yards for any interceptions like that. But it was the loudest roar I ever heard out of a crowd because, you know, everybody was had their hearts in their throats because it looked like ASU was about to get back in the game. And then Cecil intercepted in the end zone and just ran down the sidelines right in front of their bench, and it just took the heart out of them. Who were some – and he's a great guy, a smart guy. Obviously, he's Mm -hmm. back now with his wife here uh, working some magic with the football team. Uh, Who who were the guys that you really enjoyed trying to to give some publicity to? He was one, probably Ricky, anybody else. You know, David Adams always loved publicity. You know, who were those guys? You know who was a special guy that I really, really liked? was Daryl Lewis. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, he, we had that season in... Um, I think 88, 88-89. Yeah, uh, anyway, we went... we Because they the Pac-10 football schedules then were all screwed up, where you might go and play somebody in their home three years in a row, and then you, they'd finally come back to your place. Well, we had to go to... We had to go to UCLA and... USC in the same October. It wasn't back-to-back. There was a week off. We, I can't remember who we played in between, but we had to go both places. And we were playing UCLA, and it was uh, tied 21-21. And uh, there's like less than a minute to go. And um, UCLA was driving Terry Aikman. Uh, uh, Aikman was their quarterback. Troy Aikman, yeah. And, Troy Aikman was their quarterback, and they were driving, and they had a third and one on their on our 35-yard line, thereabouts. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Dwayne Aquina went almost running on the field to um, uh, to and hollered at Daryl Lewis and said, Daryl, they like to throw an out pass on third and one in this situation. They're going to throw an out pass right here. You pick it off and run it back for a touchdown. Well, sure enough, they throw an out pass. Uh, Lewis steps in front of him and runs 75 yards for a touchdown, and we win 28-21. to 21. And then uh, two weeks later, we go to, um, we go to the um, USC. The Coliseum. The Coliseum. They'd won about 14 games. Smitty was the coach. And uh, they'd won about 14 games in a row at home. And it was their homecoming and everything. And it was a late start for TV. It was like a 4 o'clock start. And um, anyway, so we had a plan for them. And we hung in in the first half. And I don't remember what the score was, but it was like 10 to 7 or 14 to 10, something like that. And so um, we got about a minute. Plan- we got about a minute. Okay, the plan was to run the regular offense and then switch to the wishbone at halftime. And uh, we had Ronald Veal, and we did that. And um, Daryl Lewis had a long punt return to take it inside the 10 that we went ahead, and then we just ran the ball the whole last half of the game, and we beat them at their place uh, to stop their winning streak. I I remember that very well because, in fact, I was on the sideline because the reporters go on the sideline and you guys are waiting for us too to go into the locker mm-hmm. room to do interviews. And that was, uh, I remember it very much so, everybody doing the V sign as you guys were leaving the field. Uh, yeah, the, it, whole, 
They they scored and then tried an onside kick and it went backwards. Yeah, it didn't and that's work. when we knew it was over. It was yeah. over. Yeah, we got about we got to go to the break. Come back on the other side. We'll talk more to Butch about the good old days here on Ten Thirty The Voice. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera, and with me is Butch Henry, former SID at U of A from the mid-'80s to the late-'90s. So you worked with uh, Smith, uh, Coach Smith, and Dick Tomey. How was it working with Dick Tomey, one of the great guys I've ever met? And obviously, in my, I think two weeks will be his one-year anniversary of his passing. You know, uh, with Dick and with, uh, with Smitty, both of them, I had a relationship with them that I could go in and shut the door and hash something out with them. And when we left, walked out of the room, no matter what we discussed, we knew what we were going to do and we were in total agreement. And uh, they were, they were both class acts, two entirely different types of people. Um, uh, Tommy, uh, I'll never forget when we went up and lost at Washington, 56 to nothing one year. And then we had to go back to Washington the next year. And we went up there, I believe it was in 88. And we went up there. And I'll never forget in the locker room after the first year, Tommy told the players, he said, before you're done here, you're going to beat those guys. And we went up there the next year and uh, turned the ball over in the final two minutes and kicked a field goal to beat them in the rain up there i remember and it that, i remember it yeah and, and that's the uh, and after that dick really had the number he didn't always beat washington but he beat them uh in in the one game that mattered um uh, in 92 when they were ranked number one in the nation and probably cost washington the national championship uh, uh george malulu had the game of his life and uh i believe it was 16 to 7 was the final score but by the, the first First quarter, we couldn't run. And Tommy said, we've got to keep running the football. We ran it a little bit in the second quarter. And then by the third quarter and fourth quarter, we ran for over 100 yards in both quarters and kept the ball, and their offense couldn't get on the field. So in your memory, I guess that win over the, the Washington team in 92, or, uh, over the number, that was probably the biggest win you were a part of and, and helping with? That was that was really special. That was. And uh, another one was um, – the one year, and it really meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, but uh, we'd been running the wishbone, and it wasn't working. <laughs> I remember this. And uh, UCLA came in, and we had changed our offense during an open date. It was a secret. It was the, a secret, big secret. It was a secret. Yeah. And went and um, switched to the I formation, and the game was nationally televised, and uh, it was 42 to nothing before, I want to say by the – early in the second half. And I think it ended up 42-7 to seven or something, but UCLA had a really good team, and it, it just destroyed them. David Eldridge, I think that's when the name came yeah. out. Yeah. He, they yeah, he stop rushed him. for over 200 and something yards and all that. But, but, you know, there's some other things that are really, you know, the national championship in 97 in basketball. Um, uh, Arizona beat three number one seeds. That's never, ever been done. But I remember the first game, we went to uh, Birmingham and played Kansas, and Kansas was uh, the number one seed, and they may have been ranked number one. I don't they were, remember they were. exactly. And um, Lute was always best at figuring out what you did best and then taking that away from you. 
and they looked at Kansas. Kansas had two seven-footers, and these guys would come down and put their foot on the block and then run their offense. And we had a couple of guys that could run inside, a couple of young guys, and they told them, get to the block before uh, Kansas can get down and don't move. Don't let them stand on the block. And so they had to come down and set their offense up, and it looks like a very small thing where they were standing um, another six inches away from the basket, but it screwed up all of Kansas' offense. And um, I think one of their big guys didn't score until it was like the last two minutes of the game. They had Rafe LaFrenz. Rafe LaFrenz was one of them. Yes. And uh, so then we we go to the final four. Well, we had to beat Providence in overtime. Overtime, right. The Big East champions. And then we go to the final four, and we get uh, get to the championship game. And we're playing um, Kentucky, and it's an overtime game, and we win. And we get in the locker room after the game, and, you know, it's before the press comes in. And, it, you know, this was a very, very tough run that we'd been on. And everybody was exhausted. And in the um, everybody just sitting there silent, just worn out, but they won the national championship. And I'll never forget, Miles Simon looks over at Mike Bibby and says, Mike, what did we just do? <laughs> <laughs> and it was a national championship. But another thing, uh, in 86, when we went to the College World Series, um, we had Joe Estes as a relief pitcher, and Joe probably couldn't throw it 70 miles an hour, but he had the greatest pickoff move in the history of baseball. And there was one game, it was about the third or fourth game of the World Series, and um, we were up by a run in the ninth inning. Can't remember who we were playing, but they had a really good offense, and they had two men on with two outs, runs on first and third, and they had this All American uh, power hitter coming up. And so they bring Estes into the game. And they tell him, um, Joe, we don't want you pitching to this guy. Pick somebody off. And so first pitch, before he even throws a pitch, he picks the guy off first to end the game. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of a guy getting a save without throwing a pitch. <laughs> so so, so the world in, I had yeah. not heard that story. I had not heard the Miles Simon story, and I've written a few books about it. Let me ask you, so in that time, what uh, you had, you know, Smith, like you say, Smitty, Tommy, and you had uh, Lute and uh, Kindle. How was it with Kindle? Were you the SID for baseball? How did that work? You know, I wasn't until uh, the last three or four years uh, I was there. Um, I didn't do baseball until the very end. We had a team that should have won the World Series. Um, I want to say it was 92 and had a dynamite lineup, great hitters, and three super starting pitchers. Is Erickson one of them? Yes, and all three of those guys got hurt before the first conference game. So we had no pitching. And we got all the way to the regional finals where we lost 11 to 10 in Stillwater in the, in the final game. We had to force a game and, and came back and, and then lost in extra innings. And um, uh, we just had no pitching. And guys would have to go out and, and pitch forever and, and just gave up stuff. And we'd find a way to outscore people. Yeah. What, but, was, yeah. Your best, what was your best um, 
what was your best sport to to deal with? And give me that maybe well, sequence I, or two. You know, I worked. I I loved whatever sport was in season. I, but the guys that I was really really close to were the golfers. And in '92, um, we won the national championship, and we beat Phil Mickelson um, in his senior year. Mickelson had won everything, and uh, they dominated the whole tournament. It was over in Albuquerque, and then. On the Saturday, or excuse me, the Friday was the third round, and we got back in it, so we would be playing head-to-head with Arizona State the next day. And um, we had um, Harry Rudolph was our number one player, and Manny Zerman was number two, and David Bergano was three. And then Jim Furyk, people don't realize this, Furyk was the number four player on the team. But um, Harry Rudolph was a guy from San Diego, who had played against Mickelson a lot, his whole junior career and everything. And he was the one guy that was not afraid of Mickelson. And uh, we knew that we had a chance because Rudolph, we knew that he was going to have a better score than Mickelson because Mickelson hated to play with him. But one of the things that had happened in college golf, you don't have caddies, so the players have to handle the flag stick. And the ASU guys had had a team rule that they would never touch the flag stick. And so they would put out and just walk off and wait for somebody else to pick up the flag stick. So our guys said, you know, we're going to make them handle the flag stick tomorrow. And let's everybody just putt it. Because, you know, in, in golf, if you start, if it's your turn to putt, then you can keep putting until you finish. You don't have to let somebody, now if you want to putt and then stop, you can. So our guys put it out and then got really hot on the back nine and were just making everything. And so the ASU guys, our guys would not touch the flag. And the ASU guys, I think about three or four times, the rules people had to tell Mickelson, go back and get the flag. And that just burned them up. And so uh, we came from behind and beat them. Uh, Bergano made about 90 feet of putts on the last three holes. And uh, Furyk... I I don't remember the details exactly, but he was not hitting the ball really good, but he was making everything he saw. He could get up and down from the dark side of the moon. And uh, But anyway, we came in. Um, Mickelson won the tournament because he had a big lead, but um, Harry Rudolph finished second, and Manny was third. And uh, it was it was a very special championship. And that, that tournament, even though ASU had played so well and had won like two of the three, last three national championships, Arizona broke the NCAA scoring record in that tournament in Albuquerque. So that was um, that was a really special bunch of guys, and that that was fun to be a part of that. Yeah, no, you were a part of a lot of championships. I think the women's golf team had won one or two, hadn't they? When you were here, they won one. Uh, well, Annika Sorenstam won. Um, an NCAA champion, individual championship, but Marissa Baena won uh, the team title for us when uh, we tied and we had a, a playoff, a sudden death playoff, and she hold, um, I think it was a seven iron shot from about 130 yards out on the first extra hole for an eagle to win the team championship. And uh, Two of my most prized possessions, I got, I was Rick LaRose, who coached both those teams, gave me a championship ring from both those teams, and that's, I really prize those.
No question, no question. I would too. Hey, so in in our final moments here, so as you look back to the time in Tucson, what do you remember fondly, and maybe your time at U of A? Uh, the, it was a very special time. It was a special time in Tucson, also. Um, uh, there were not a lot of the problems that exist today, and I'm talking about in the community and the state and the world and everything. Um, it was just a, a really neat time to be there. There were people that there had been a rebirth of athletics after that just terrible time uh, between basketball uh, under Ben Lindsay and football, the, all the penalties and everything. And um, it was uh, it was in the camaraderie in the athletic department was something I never right. experienced anywhere else. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a, a department baseball team. And uh, there were a bunch of us that played in the city summer league over at High Corbett. And uh, Dick told me, uh, in fact, one year on his birthday, he played all nine positions. We, we talked game, about that. But, yes, we talked about that when he passed away. Uh-huh. And, uh, it was, uh, and we won, I think we played five years, and we won the city championship three times. And it, there was some very special time, and it was hot because it, you know, in the summer out there, it would be 105 at uh, when the first game was played at at uh, five o'clock or 5:30, whatever it was. And uh, but it was a lot of fun, and we all loved to play baseball. Let me and Rick Rick LaRose was probably the best athlete, and Dave Hurst was pretty good because he'd been a player yes. at uh, yes. Arizona. And uh, but a lot of us. Uh, it was fun, and uh, we looked forward to it, and I was so happy. Uh, Dave Stitt taught me how to hit a curveball my last year, and I had so much fun. And With those aluminum bats, I learned how to hit them, just take a curveball and hit it over the second baseman's head. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, I hit over 300 that last year, and then I just said, I haven't been hurt. I was 45 years old, and I said, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask but you something. Have- the world has changed so much since you guys did SID, and it's, it's kind of gone digital. Its access has been very little. Uh, the biggest story I covered back when I covered football many years ago was the Kevin Singleton story. And yes. uh, imagine that story happening now. Well, you know, the other thing, uh, now, I know a lot about kind of what they're doing now. I'm, my, our youngest son, Brian, is the media relations director for the University of West Florida. It's a Division II school in Pensacola, Florida, and they won the D2 National Championship in football this past year. In fact, it was only their fourth year to have a team, and they won the. They had to win five games on the road in the playoffs, and they won it. But I, I go down a couple of times a year and see what they're doing and watch their games and um, just what they do. I told my wife, I said. I'm sitting there watching it, and I don't have a clue uh, how they're doing it or what they're doing it. And uh, But the one thing that was different, and I think is it, the world is worse off for it, is that the whole time I was at Arizona and in my entire career in sports information, we had an open locker room after every game. And everybody could come in. The players were made available, um, and that doesn't exist anymore. And I think that we're all worse for the wear for that because um, I had a player in Iowa State who was from Tucson, by the way, who um, um, came to see me at Arizona um, after 
seven or eight years after I was at Arizona, just walked in one day, and he said, you know, uh, I really appreciate what you did for me because he said, I learned business by going to school at Iowa State University and getting a business degree, but I didn't learn how to sell myself until you made me go and do interviews. And he said, I am successful, and this guy had a chain of appliance stores in Mexico City, and he said, uh, I'm successful because you taught me how to sell myself. Mm-hmm. And boy, that made it worthwhile. But I think that the the world has changed, and you can't go, can't put the genie back in the bottle. But yeah, I think it was a whole lot better situation for the media, for the teams, the coaches, and everybody when um, you were going to open the locker room and you had to answer questions. Hallelujah. I totally agree with you. I think it's one of the reasons why many of Lutz's guys, ex-guys, are in TV today doing a lot of TV work. Oh, I do. I think that's the truth. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, there was Joe Turner. I don't know if you remember Joe. <laughs> Joe but... is Joe's comes down to Tucson every summer. We see him every summer. You know, Joe, Joe is the king of the malapropisms. He got his degree, and I was really happy for him. But I was thinking the other day about Joe. Um, one time uh, after his first game, it was an exhibition game against athletes in action. You know, those guys were really good back then, and it was hard for a college team to beat them because they were they were uh, older and, and could play and all that. And so we opened the season, and athletes in action beat us. So Joe called his mom and back in, I don't remember if it was Bakersfield or Fresno, but one of those places, and he said uh, – uh, his mom said, well, I'm sorry you lost. He said, it's okay, Mom. It was just an expedition game. Expedition game, <laughs> yes. No, there's also the one There's also the one is, uh, would ask him, where is UA? Uh, where is UAB? He says, uh, well, it's in Tucson. He says, UAB is not in yeah. Tucson. UAB in Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, one time there was something that happened. In the elevator. <laughs> in the elevator. Well, I don't remember that, but there was one where – he told Blute something that was going to happen in the nation the next day. Some He predicted something was going to happen, and sure enough, it happened. And the next day, Lute asked him, Joe, how did you know that happened? He said, well, don't you know? I've got ESPN. Yeah, ESPN. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that was kind of the elevator thing, too. I get that. He did that a lot. Uh, hey, Butch, I appreciate your time. we got to go here in a sec. Uh, good talking well, to you. Tell everybody hello in Tucson, and uh, come see us in Tuscaloosa sometime. I'll tell them to do that. I'll tell them to do that. Thanks. You got you got stoops still, and you got burned now. Take care of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take now, care. I saw. Uh, I met. Uh, uh, I met Greg uh, when he first came here. We had a nice visit. I know his father real well. I didn't yes. know him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Butch. I appreciate your time. All righty. Thank you. Bye bye. That was Butch Henry. Former U of A SID with the good old boy Storis. How you doing? Let's take a quick break here on 10 Through the Voice. Come right back. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. We got little time left. It was a good conversation. What'd you think, Tom? Oh, yeah, that was very enjoyable. And uh, I, you can tell he's got a lot of stories to, that he could relate to oh, us yeah, that, that we, we didn't s- get to. We could spend all week doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he talked about Daryl Lewis. I, I don't know if you remember him, but a heck of a player. Uh, ran into some trouble uh, outside of football when he was done because he played with the Chargers, I think. He was a first-team a first All-American uh, defensive back. But the best play I remember him was stopping uh, Musgrave uh, against Oregon on the goal line. I mean, it was like fourth and one. 
they needed one to win, and uh, he, he stuffed them at the one line, one yard line. I was there about maybe ten yards away, and that's the first time I've ever had chills go through my body, saying like. I can't believe that just happened. Uh, he fell like maybe six inches short, and I'm thinking, holy moly, this is unbelievable. Because I was right there, and you could hear the crash, and it was like, holy moly. And then uh, and then the funny thing is he used to spell his name with one L, L Daryl. I think it was one L, Daryl um, Lewis. And uh, one one time uh, I worked well. One time I worked with a coworker. His name was Mark Kimball. He was a professor at the U of A. And he says, "Why do you always spell Daryl Lewis's name wrong?" And I'm thinking, uh, "It's not wrong." So yeah, it is. Uh, his girlfriend came up to me and said, "Why does the media spell Daryl's name wrong?" And I'm thinking, "Well, it's in the media guide with Daryl one L." He says, "No, it, that's a miss." print it's it's two l's so why doesn't daryl say anything because he never like he never talked to anybody he was just kind of a quiet dude so all these times in three or four years of being at the uva we all spelled his name wrong because he didn't want to change it <laughs> so it was daryl one l instead of two l's this is daryl just tell us there's my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a great career at U of A. Had a pro career as well. Uh, got into some trouble, I guess, uh, after his pro career. Uh, but I hope he's doing well. But Daryl is one of the great stories I remember with the Musgrave uh, play back in the day. I think it was 1989. Could have been an 88 with Musgrave for Oregon. Uh, but uh, thanks to Butch for coming on. Uh, I like those good old days. Good old days. Yeah, maybe stories. you can get him on again sometime. Yeah, maybe one of these days. Uh, he's in uh, Tuscaloosa. I knew that. Um, what else is going on? The NBA, well, well, not NBA, the NFL draft is going. It's going. Uh, Miller is fleshing out uh, the, the uh, 2021 basketball team. What do you think? He'll get another, my prediction is he'll get another foreign guy here before it's said and done. I think he has But two he's getting the guy from France. Right, and he's got another one from uh, Lithuania. Oh, okay. So the, he'll get another one. I think there's that's the word I hear. That could be another one, and they'll probably stop at three. So he's getting away from the United States and going overseas. But do you think he's getting the right players Who that knows? he needs? Who knows? We thought that last year at this time when everyone was excited <laughs> I know, about I know. Every, three freshmen. Uh, everything that everybody says about uh, these players and what they're going to do for the team, it just never seems to pan if out. If there's a season next year, guess what I'll tell you? Now we'll know. Because <laughs> we don't know if there's a season. I'm sure you, you heard about Buckmaster's, uh, Buckmaster's interview with... Yes. Uh, where's the money, honey? Where's the money? And we may not have a season. Who knows? Or maybe <laughs> delayed. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Well, be well. Hope there are two of you. We'll Look forward to seeing you next Friday. Yes, thank you, Tom.